2: 18- this is the Nightcap on v the Sports Betting Network.
3: Welcome back. This is hour number two of the Nightcap coming to you from the Circa Resort and Casino in downtown Las Vegas. Femi Abebefe alongside Scott Seidenberg here. We're hanging out. Sweating out some baseball for Scott as I'm here trying to be the positive reinforcement yeah, and like encouraging. Hopefully, we can <laughs> get some good karma for you there between the Reds and the Diamondbacks. But we're talking about NBA finals in the last segment, and we want to continue this discussion with our next guest here on the program. He is the columnist at the Bay Area News Group, Dieter Kurtenbach, joining us now here to discuss all things Celtics Warriors. Dieter, we appreciate you joining us this evening. Right now, Golden State, they're up 3-2. Things are looking good after last night's Game 5. Your original prediction for this series was Warriors in 7. Do you still feel that way, or could the Warriors possibly end this thing on Thursday night?
4: <laughs> I guess both things could possibly happen. Uh, I could be right, or the Warriors could take care of business. Um, its uh, I, I guess it's just... How much Boston wants this thing. And I, I will say this about the NBA finals because there's so much time in between games, a lot of the emotions that seem heavy at the end, like the fourth quarter of game five or the fourth quarter of uh, game four, even, it, it fades away. It doesn't have a, as much of a tail as you would think because you're just constantly, that's where your consciousness is as a fan, as a reporter, as anybody, the team has to wipe the slate clean. And I think Boston and the Warriors have both done a really good job of not carrying baggage from game to game. And I think that is necessary for Boston going into this game six because of the last two games, they have gotten spanked in the fourth quarter and they have looked tight really tight in the fourth quarter, like a team that's led by a couple 24 year olds tight in the fourth quarter. And they need to come out and they need to make a statement early on home floor in game six. If they want to stand any chance of winning this game, they haven't been able to bring that energy uh, as of late. And and I'm very curious to see if the negative emotions do carry in to game six. I'm going to bet against it. I'm going to say that Boston has the talent that they'll have the will and that we're going to get to a 7, but with the way that the Warriors are playing right now, the way that they stole Game 5, Steph Curry doesn't make a 3-pointer in the game, and they get a, get a win anyway, I, I, I'm not underestimating Golden State at all. This is the beauty of these NBA Finals. Uh, I know that the games haven't actually been tight at the end, but they've been tight throughout. There's been a lot of back and forth. There's not much between these teams. Neither of them is truly great in the sense of, you know, they're peerless or flawless. They both show up with some warts in every game, and uh, and there's not much between them. So let, let's see what Boston has between the ears because that has been the difference as of late, and it's been in the favor of the Golden State Warriors.
2: Theater for the first time in that Game 5, uh, and for the first time really in a, in a while here in these playoffs, the Warriors got outplayed in the third quarter. Did you notice anything different <clears throat> about the way they came out in the second half in Game 5 versus the first four games of this series?
4: Not, not particularly. Um, it, it, there's an irony to this series in the sense that the Warriors uh, are, are trying to be very unwarriors like and the Celtics are trying to do a Warriors impression. When Boston is at their best, they're pushing the pace. They're everywhere on defense. It's defense into offense, transition, 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 and doing all those little things uh, with Robert Williams leading the way, Al Horford doing a wonderful job, all those little things. Uh, really kind of standing out in the aggregate. And the Warriors are trying to do sort of classic modern NBA, which is just run high, pick and roll, and, you know, be solid enough on defense. Just be stout, don't get in foul trouble, and uh, tip your hat to the other team if they make their shots. And and that flipped a little bit. That flipped a little bit in Game 5. The Warriors went back to the motion offense. The Celtics came out early in that game, and they said, anybody but Steph Curry. Anybody but him is going to beat us. And Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green said, much obliged. We will take it from here. Clay Thompson got in on the action a little bit later. But the Warriors, it had been a minute since they had been running a lot of that stuff, which they have run every day for the last seven, eight years. And uh, and it was a little bit clunky. And when they came out in the third quarter, Boston hadn't made any threes in the game. And then they rattle off like eight in a row. They were naturally bound to regress. And the Warriors, you know, listen, Chase Center, halftime, they need to get some more concession stand workers for game seven because there was nobody in the crowd. The you know the team still looked like it was in the locker room, even though the second half had started. And the Celtics came out like their entire season depended on it because in a lot of ways it felt like it did at the time. And, uh, and, and just Boston just came out with a real big spark. I think it was most telling, in fact, uh, that the Warriors, despite the fact that they blew a big 10-point lead, I think it was even more than that, Uh, coming out of the gate with the 10-0 run from Boston and Boston was kind of giving them the business But they went into the fourth quarter up one because they were down six, seven, it could have been 10, 11, 12 with ease. But Jordan Poole makes that buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter. Clay Thompson hits a couple of big shots late in the third quarter. The Warriors gave enough of a spurt late to set themselves up for a big fourth quarter when Steph Curry, it wasn't going to be on the floor and that the Warriors would go to sort of the small ball lineup, which obviously features a Kavan Looney or a Draymond Green at center. You can't go too small against Boston. But they would go to sort of their optimal lineups as opposed to a lot of some of the, the, the crazy janky lineups that they've been throwing out there. And uh, uh, that fourth quarter was absolutely huge. Again, it was with the motion offense as opposed to Steph Curry just running pick and roll. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, who was great in the first quarter, he was better in the fourth. And Boston just tightened up. And a lot of you know last three of the last four shots that Jason Tatum took were air balls. He missed seven of his last eight. He's gotta be the guy. It's pretty simple for Boston. Jason Tatum has to be the best player on the floor. And if that's the case, it's hard to imagine Boston losing. But so far in this series, I don't think he's been the best player on the floor, but maybe once and that might even be stretching it.
3: We're speaking with Dieter Kurtenbach columnist at Bay Area News Group. Dieter, you talked about Steph Curry and how the Warriors were able to win without Curry being the offensive dynamo that he's been throughout these playoffs and throughout this series here. And I almost think it's easy to chalk it up to, oh, he just missed some shots or whatever. You mentioned that the Celtics, their yeah. game plan was anybody but Curry, anybody be Curry. If that ends up being duplicated in game number six here, Curry's points prop right now, 28 and a half. Do you see this being something where Steph is once again having to be the facilitator and almost the decoy in the offense, or can he still put up those productive 30-point performances?
4: Well, he got nine looks for three, and I'd say only one or two of them was forced, and there were a lot of open looks for three from Steph Curry, which is not something that we could have said uh, in the first four games of this series when he was shooting, uh, what, 25 of 51 from beyond the arc in the first four games, so he was bound to miss a couple, uh, mm-hmm. but it was still rather stunning to see him miss that many in a row. That's not going to happen again. Uh, I mean, I, I'm willing to bet the mortgage. I'm willing to bet your mortgage <laughs> that it's not going to happen again, that Steph Curry is going to go without a three-pointer. He's going to knock one down in the first couple of minutes of the game. Uh, and, and from there, we'll see what happens. I don't know if it will be a barrage because I do think that Boston's defensive principle in terms of double-teaming, trapping, all that stuff with Steph Curry was really good. It didn't allow the Warriors to to fall into sort of easy counters. They had to work for their buckets. But Andrew Wiggins is really talented. Now, will Andrew Wiggins do what he did again? I mean, odds are probably not. But he's good enough to do that. And Clay Thompson, game six, there's a bit of a legend about that one. Interesting to see what happens there. Warriors' defense, though, was really outstanding in that game. So Steph Curry, 28 points. Man, he he had more than he had a pretty good game. All things considered, without making a three, what happens if he makes two or three? I I have a hard time not seeing Steph be in the thirties, and and if that's the case, Jason Tatum better have forty.
2: Draymond Green, arguably, well, not arguably, he had his best game of the series. Uh, You know, (laughs) but he scored eight points in the first half, and that was it for the game. Um, What (laughs) what what changes did you see from his game, and can we expect that type of Draymond performance here in Game Six?
4: And I don't know what to expect from Draymond. Draymond's like my guy. That, that's the the one dude who, uh, over the seven, eight years covering this team, I, I just have a good feel for. You just kind of know what Draymond's about on a night-in, night-out basis. And, you know, he's obviously a one-of-one one player. There, there's nobody else in the NBA who can affect the game as much as Draymond Green can. And then you look at the box score at the end and say, did he do anything? <laughs> yeah, he never did the whole thing. Um, so, <laughs> a tough guy to bet on, tough guy to... Sort of, you know, having fantasy basketball, but he was he was outstanding. Game two, game five, Draymond Green was elite. He was as good as it gets. And I don't care what the box score says. Now the question is, can he translate it to game six in Boston? He was terrible. I mean, it's abysmal in games three and four. I, I didn't. I don't think I'd ever seen him play as poorly, especially considering the circumstances, as game three. And then game four, he went out there and decided that he needed to take it to a whole other level in the wrong direction and uh, was just, he got benched, he got benched in the fourth quarter of game four. Now he came back and had a nice little spurt late. Maybe that was a shock to the system. Um, and certainly with Boston giving Steph Curry so much attention, Draymond is going to have opportunities, but for the life of me, I cannot tell you what Draymond Green is going to do. It's part of his charm. It is part of what makes him so maddening. Uh, it is, it's is—it's everything for the Warriors, though, because if Draymond Green comes out and he is flat and he is a defensive liability, and we already know he's an offensive liability, even when he's at his best, whew, the Warriors are going to have real problems and Steve Kerr is going to have to make really tough decisions, even tougher decisions than the one that he made in game 4 and if Draymond comes out the way that he did in games 2 and 5 and he is just a man with a mission and his goal is to make every single person on that floor feel him feel him physically in both offense and defensively if he's aggressive and he plays without a conscience the warriors are really tough to beat man because boston for as strong as they are as athletic as they are I hate to say it because I do have a lot of respect for the team, but boy, those wings can be pretty soft. Tatum and Brown in particular can be pretty soft, and Marcus Smart wants to flop all over the place. Mad respect for the Time Lord, Robert Williams. That dude is anything but soft, but Al Horford's rep for his entire career is that he's been able to be pushed over, and the Celtics bench has really regressed as this series has progressed. So... Uh, I, I'm very, I'm very curious to see what Draymond Green gives and if you're trying to figure out what he's gonna do for a betting purpose, my friend, take the money and put it on
3: anything else in life because you are gonna be sweating all the way to the finish line <laughs> on that one. He is Dieter Curtainbug columnist over at the Bay Area News Group. Dieter, we appreciate you joining us. The nightcap will be back.
1: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
2: this is the nightcap on v the sports betting network
3: Welcome back. This is the Nightcap coming to you from the VEASAN studios here at the Circa Resort and Casino. Femi and hanging out with Scott Seidenberg. We just had Dieter Kurtenbach on in the last segment talking all things NBA Finals. But get a little quick update on what's going on on the Diamond this evening. I know you're sweating out this Giants and Royals game right now. Uh, how you feeling?
2: feeling uh, all right? Zero-zero. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who's winning? The Bears. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what's happening right now. Top of the uh, sixth. <laughs> top of the sixth, uh, there's two outs. Hopefully the Giants can get out of a little of a jam here, first and third for the Royals. So uh, no score, that's okay. Logan Webb, just one pitcher get out of this. And uh, he's got seven strikeouts already through uh to- through the top of the sixth right now, Logan Webb does. Some of the score
3: updates here, the San Diego Padres are at the friendly confines. They lead the Chicago Cubs 12-5. In the top of the ninth, the Padres went off as minus 135 favorites there. The Cubs were plus 115. The total of 10 and a half, we have gone over that. We have 17 runs right now scored mm. in Chicago. Also, Cincinnati and Arizona, the game that you are sweating. We are scoreless in the top of the seventh. The Diamondbacks went off as minus 120 favorites there. Right now, you see on the live number, Arizona favored by, or on the money line, I should say, minus 135. The Reds, even money, on the other way, there with the total down to two and a half. This total closed nine, so it's been a pitcher's duel or maybe just can't hit out there <laughs> in the desert. It was one of the two. And also in Seattle, we had a home run. Suarez hits a two-run shot, so the Mariners take the early two-nothing lead. We're still bottom of the fourth, so kind of relatively early in the game, but Mariners went off as minus 125 favorites. The Twins plus 105, total of seven, but I think right now the Mariners seem to be in control with
2: Logan Gilbert on the mound. Yep, they had the slight pitching edge here in this one, and uh, Julio got them, I believe, their first hit. Uh, And then, you know, now you have Eugenio Suarez with the home run. And uh, freeway series going on right now. Yes, sir. And uh, no score between the Angels and the Dodgers, although the Dodgers are threatening with two outs. The Guardians and the Rockies in
3: Denver tied at three, top of the ninth. It was the Guardians who went off as minus 170. Bieber on the mound for Cleveland. At the start of this one, it was plus 145 for Colorado there at home as a home dog. The total was sitting at 11 because Rocky Mountains, but mm. it looks like we are trending toward the under. We'll see. I mean, extra innings in like Colorado. You never, you, know. Never know. you never know. You never know what could happen in Colorado there. But those are the scores that are going on right now. We're hoping that you can get home with the bets that you have placed as well with the Cincinnati Reds in this game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. But let's turn our attention to what's on the ice. Tomorrow night, game one of the Stanley Cup final between the two time defending cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. Right now, over at DraftKings, the series price is Colorado minus 175. Tampa Bay, the two time reigning defending Mm -hmm. plus 150 there. I mean, Colorado has the home ice, so got to give them that there. But this Tampa Bay team. A lot of people counted them out when they went down 0 2 to the New York Rangers. Yep. They win four straight. All four games go to the under there because as long as you got Vasilevsky
2: Absolutely. in net there, mm-hmm.
3: I, I find it hard to, to bet against this team.
2: Well, and that's the play here. Uh, it's not on the Lightning to win the series, it's on Andre Vasilevsky to win the Con Smythe. Uh, if Tampa wins this series, it's because Vasilevsky has an incredible series. Right, He's the best goaltender in the world, and he'll be the reason why they win this series. Because they're not going to beat Colorado in a 6-5 type game. They're going to beat Colorado by limiting their scoring. And so if Vasilevsky is the reason, which he would be, the reason why they win, you can get him right now at north of 4-1. to to win the Conn Smythe, I think it's a direct correlated play with the Lightning to win and Andre Vasilevsky to be the Conn Smythe winner. He was the Conn Smythe winner last year because of his incredible performance. And a reminder to folks: this is the most, this is the player most valuable to their team mm-hmm. in the playoffs, not the Stanley Cup final. In the playoffs, and so yes, you take into consideration what Vasilevsky has done. In that series sweep of the highest-scoring team in the NHL and the Florida Panthers and in the four consecutive wins against the New York Rangers in the Eastern Conference Final, if he has a big series here leading to a Tampa win against Colorado, then he is going to be your Smythe winner, and that 4-1 is not going to be here for long. I remember I was doing the show, it was a couple
3: Saturdays ago, I was talking with Wes Reynolds, doing betting across America, and we were looking at the Conn Smythe market. Yeah, he was like 11 and or 12-1. It was 15-1 yeah. to one all 15, yeah. at MGM when mm-hmm. they were down 0-2 in that series. Mm-hmm. And I asked Wes, I was like, should we maybe throw a little something on this? But we were unsure about whether they... Because at that yeah. point, we all thought that, okay, maybe they've run out of gas. Mm-hmm. It was two straight cup championship runs. Maybe this is the end of the line there, but... Clearly, we shouldn't have doubted Andre Vasilevsky because right now that price, like you mentioned, at 4 to 1 over at DraftKings there. Uh, Kale Makara right now is the favorite, plus 180. Nathan McKinnon, plus 210. Kucherov and Vasilevsky both tied up at 4 to 1 there for the Tampa Bay Lightning there. Um, any long shots that you would potentially entertain? There's or no one is else. Was it winning just this Vasilevsky award. or one of the two guys from Colorado? Uh, th- yeah, there's no one
2: else winning this award right now. I, if Tampa wins the. It's got to be Vasilevsky because of how they're going to have to win, Mm -hmm. right? So I can't see anybody else winning that award. Uh, for Colorado, honestly, I think it's a mixed bag. Like McCarr has been incredible, um, and and there is precedent, obviously, for de- elite defensemen to win this award. Victor Hedman won it two years ago yep. for the Tampa Bay Lightning, so uh, he certainly can win it. Um, McKinnon's been great. You know, let's w- you know if a guy like you know, I don't know uh, Miko Rantanen or Landeskog has an incredible series, maybe you look at that. But McCarr and, McKinn- and McKinnon have been the two. Top guys throughout this entire run here. Mm-hmm. I just think when it comes to Colorado, the layoffs going to hurt them in Game One. Yeah. So I like Tampa in Game One. Tampa and the under would be correlated plays here for these games, right? And then it it, it just we have not seen them face adversity this postseason. Okay. they roll through the first round uh, they have you know slight little oh no actually uh, yeah they roll through the first round have a slight little hiccup there against St. Louis roll through Edmonton no adversity whatsoever meanwhile Tampa difficult series against Toronto yeah which an incredible team this year difficult series against Toronto yes they had the sweep against Florida but then they go down 0-2 to the Rangers so they've had to deal with adversity Plus, they have the experience as the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs, and they got the coaching edge with John Cooper, who's likely going to be a future Hall of Famer, especially if he wins a third consecutive cup. And We haven't had a three-peat in the NHL since the early 80s when the Islanders won four straight cups. Think about mm-hmm. that. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are the first team since that Islanders team to even go to a third straight Stanley Cup after winning two in a row. So I just look at this Tampa team, the experience factors there, the goaltending edges there, and think about this. When was the last time you can recall a team going into the Stanley Cup Final not even knowing who's going to be their goaltender in Game One? Yeah. The Colorado Avalanche still haven't decided whether it's going to be Darcy Kemper or Frankie in net, and so like, like how can how can I bet on that team? No. Because and- you know why? That's not how they win. They don't care about goaltending. They're gonna they'll beat you six to four, but not against Andre Vasilevsky.
3: Yeah, that, that to me the clear goaltending advantage is clearly. With the Tampa Bay Lightning here, and I thought the point that you brought up was excellent. There, that Tampa Bay correlated with the under is how you yes. probably should be betting. All not just game one, but if you like Tampa in any sort of game Absolutely. to win, mm-hmm. parlay the money line with the under, whatever whether it's six or five and a half, or even if it's five, as we saw in game seven, or rather in um in in game, in game six against New York, there this team plays these types of games where Vasilevsky, He's not allowing more than one goal, right? It mm-hmm. seems like through these games here to where it is directly correlated with Tampa Bay with the under. Now, I got to ask you this because a lot of people feel that Colorado is going to drop game one because of the long layoff. Yes. they eight, nine days or however long it's been since they won the Western Conference Championship. How long do you think the series will go? Like, Do you think that Colorado will eventually get their legs to where this ends up being a six, seven game series? Because right now at DraftKings, Six and seven for total games played is the co-favorite. So clearly the market feels that Mm -hmm. this is going to be a long series, same with the odds makers here. Do you maybe get cute and play a Tampa in six or maybe a Colorado in seven? Would you look at it that way?
2: I would think Tampa in six on their home ice would be the way that I would look at it here. Uh, I think they get a split of the series in Colorado. They'll win game one, possibly drop game two. Uh, I would not be surprised if they um, take a 3-1 lead after, you know, game number four. They win both games in Tampa. They'll lose in Colorado and then come back to Tampa and win it in game six. So I like Tampa in six. Yeah, it's 6-1 to right now over at DraftKings. I like it. Which
3: is, and and it's getting a little cute. And Mm -hmm. so there's a reason why you're getting that plus money price because to get the exact series score with the exact (laughs) team, it's difficult to do that, but we think that this is going to be a long series and the betting market and numbers are indicating that this will be a long series. So instead of playing the plus plus one hundred and fifty or whatever it is right now for Tampa Bay to mm-hmm. win the series, which has been a number that's been beaten up. Now, a lot of people like Tampa Bay to like a lot of sharp betters like Tampa Bay to win this series. You're not really getting the best of the number at that point. No. So maybe try to find a more creative way to play this and, Go Tampa in six or maybe Tampa in seven if you feel like they can win and home ice won't be a factor in the series. But I'm fascinated to watch there because you have the Colorado free skating, free-flowing, mm-hmm. offensive hockey, and then you got Vazzy in net and that guy is a stone wall in net there for the Tampa Bay Lightning the two time defending champions they're underdogs but they're underdogs for a reason Colorado shouldn't be slept on as well because they're a really good good team we're going to talk more about this series with our next guest on the other side Greg Wyshynski ESPN NHL senior reporter will join us to break down all things Stanley Cup Final
2: This is the Nightcap on v Send the Sports Betting Network
3: The MLB season is in full swing, and you can play ball with the Peacock MLB Sunday Leadoff Challenge. Just draft your players and compete for free for up to $10,000 in prizes. Visit DraftKings.com slash Peacock for more info. Don't just watch your shows. Peacock them. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome back. This is the Nightcap. Coming to you from the Circa Resort and Casino in downtown Las Vegas. Femi Bebfe alongside Scott Seidenberg. I think Sean King coined Peacocktivity. Is that something to do with this Peacock deal here, Aaron? Yeah, getting a nod of that. So uh, we're hoping that we, we, we maybe you can get some peacock activity if your bets can come home with baseball. <laughs> but in the last segment, we were talking NHL Stanley Cup final coming up. Game one tomorrow night between the Avalanche and the Lightning. And to help us preview that game, we bring in our next guest, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior NHL reporter. Greg, we appreciate you joining us this evening. We got to start with what's been the discussion about this series. How will the long layoff affect this Avalanche team heading into tomorrow night's game one?
5: Well, that's a great question. If you ask them, it won't. Uh, They are telling everybody that being that it's the Stanley Cup final, like you're going to get up for these games no matter what. But as we saw with the Lightning uh, at the uh, beginning of the previous round, layoffs do impact you a little bit. Uh, It it wouldn't surprise me if uh, the first period tips the Lightning's way as the Avalanche try to find their legs. Um, You know, the Lightning aren't exactly in the same spot the Rangers were in the previous round. They, They also have had a few days off. Uh, but not to the point where they're going to be rusty. And uh, it it may take a period before the Avalanche become the Avalanche again, but uh, at some point they're going to become the Avalanche again.
2: What's the word on Braden Point for Tampa? Uh, Do they expect him to be uh, available for game one?
5: It sounds like unless something happens where there's like a setback in his recovery, I think he's he's good to go in game one. Um, He's been skating with Ross Colton and Nick Paul, two guys that are down the lineup for them. So that kind of gives you an indication that um, you know th- they expect him to play and maybe sort of ease into it um, with his, his his minutes to start with. Um, but John Cooper told me today, you know, the Lightning's coach, that if points ready to go at full speed, they're going to move him up the lineup. They're going to give him the ice time that they that they normally would. But it, it, again, I, I expect him to play. If he doesn't play, it means there's been maybe a little bit of a setback, uh, maybe in, in practice to, uh, tomorrow. Um, and I would expect him to start out uh, on a lower line and then kind of gradually move up. But he he did play power play one time uh, today in practice, so um, if you're looking on the uh, prop bet market for Braden Point, let it be known that even if he does start with a a couple of guys that are down the lineup, he is going to get top power play time.
3: We're speaking with Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior NHL reporter, here talking all things Stanley Cup final. Game one tomorrow night between the Lightning and the Avalanche in Denver. Greg, it's interesting because this series, we look at this and we see the Lightning, they're the defensive team, they have Vasilevsky, we see the Colorado Avalanche, the free-flowing, the free-skating team that puts up a lot of goals here, and I- I'm fascinating. is this going to be a long series because the... In the betting market, the projected outcome for total games played, whether it's six or seven, that seems to be the favored choice of bit being a six or seven game series. Do you agree with that sentiment, or could one of these styles maybe outweigh the other and overwhelm the other?
5: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I was looking at the betting market to, when when the the, uh, the the matchup was first set, Avalanche four to one had a lot of juice, which surprised me uh, as far as the amount of people that were uh, that were looking to maybe uh, get that price early on, because I, I do think it's going to be a long series. I mean, keep, keep this in mind about the lightning. Um, they're really good at adjustments. And so maybe the speed of the avalanche catches them off guard in the first couple of games, maybe the ability of the avalanche to activate Kayla McCarr and have him be part of the play. That's a tough thing to defend. Um, they obviously haven't seen a ton of this team being that they're in different conferences. So it may take them a couple games to adjust, but once they get back to Tampa uh, and they make those adjustments, and they also start getting the lineup matchups that they want. Keep in mind that you know it was two zero for the Rangers, and then they came back to Tampa. They were able to get their checking line with uh, Anthony Cirelli, Alex Kaloran, and Brandon Hagel up against the Rangers top line, and it shifted the series. So, I do think that it's going to be a long series, even if maybe the beginning of the series tips one way for a, for a certain team.
2: Greg, did you remember a time where we had a team uh, as heavily favored as the Colorado Avalanche going into a Stanley Cup final and not knowing who their goaltender is going to be for game one?
5: <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, that is the intrigue, right? And, 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 again, like part of the intrigue is not knowing who it's going to be, although everybody I've talked to down here believes it's going to be Darcy Kemper. Um, and, and, honestly, I think that's the right move for them. I, I, I'm a big Pavel Franchot guy. I, I think he's a pretty good goalie. And and I do think that you can go from Kemper to Franchot if you need to uh, and and know that you're going to get a solid performance. I don't know if it necessarily works the other way as well. Um, But it's not only not knowing who's going to start in game one, it's also like knowing that this is the biggest disadvantage that they have in the series. Um, They're going to need some saves from one of these guys against the Lightning because you you know the Lightning are getting saves from their guy. And so in order for the Avalanche to win... They don't need Kemper or Franchot to steal games. They just need to play competently behind what's a, what is a pretty good defensive team in Colorado. Don't sleep on the abs as a defensive team. I mm. think that the anal- analytics will tell you that they've been a really good group in front of goaltending that hasn't held up its end of the bargain.
3: Well, Greg, you mentioned that the Avalanche are a really good defensive team. Well, I want to ask you this because we were talking about Correlated parlays of wow, the Lightning, the last four games in that series against the Rangers, all four games went to the under there. But what's more likely, Tampa winning a high scoring game or Colorado winning a low scoring game?
5: Um, I think it will be more likely in these first two games is Tampa winning a high scoring game. I-, I think when it comes to these road games uh, that we'll start seeing in-, in game three, you have a Tampa team that's going to be able to get the defensive matchups it wants and a Colorado team that admittedly in the words of Nathan McKinnon likes to play boring and gross hockey on the road. And so I think you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of those games kind of played to the margin when we go on the road. But these first couple games, you know, we, we've already seen it a few times with the, with the avalanche in these playoffs, like they might get a little out of hand. Like I, I was looking at some of the team totals um, for game one, uh, the lightning are only at two and a half. I think it's a really good bet to, to take the over there. Um, the avalanche, Um, right now it's favored that they're going to go under three and a half. I I hesitate on that. I mean, I think there's going to be some games in this series where the avalanche score three on Vasilevsky. You can't get more than that on that guy. And then they add an empty netter to uh, hit four on the team total and potentially hit a couple of puck lines.
2: Greg, I'm on uh, Tampa to win the series, but rather than bet them to win the series, I'm on Andre Vasilevsky to win the Conn Smythe. I think uh, if you look at what he did against uh, uh, certainly Florida and then in the last four games against the Rangers and combine that with what they're going to need from him in order to beat Colorado, I think that if Tampa wins, it's going to be Andre Vasilevsky as the Conn Smythe winner. Is there anybody else on Tampa that you think could win this award with a good performance in this series? Or is it Vasilevsky as the back-to-back winner, should the Lightning defeat the Avalanche?
5: I, I think there's every case that it'll be zassy, um, Because if, if they beat the Avalanche, you know it's going to be on the back of their goalie, yep. right? Mm-hmm. But let me say this. I'm a writer. The writers write, vote for the award. I, I, I know the people that do this. <laughs> and I know that there's always going to be the chance that they're going to want to spread the wealth. And if they want to spread the wealth, it's going to go to Kucherov. And, and there's a case for it. I mean, he, he, he's they're clearly their playoff leader in points. I think he'll leave this series, still leading them in points. His points for game average is one of the best in the playoffs. Like there is a, a strong case being built for him to be the MVP. um, If it's not Vasilevsky. And the fact that they've won two cups, Hedman's got one MVP, Vasilevsky's got the other. I wouldn't underestimate the, the chance the voters end up getting it to Kucherov just to spread the wealth.
2: Although, let's be honest, it should have been Braden Point last year.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, sure, I, I I think it could have been him. I, I think Dassey probably deserves a lion's share of the credit, too. But, you know, that, listen, that's what I'm trying to say. is like the consequence voting is not an exact science. Yes. I mean, it, it, the, glory, the glory of the award, uh, unlike the other three major sports, is that it's for the entirety of the playoffs and mm-hmm. not just the final round that makes it kind of a, a little bit more unpredictable, but there are a bit, I mean, listen, there's a, we're only a few years removed from everybody and their mom saying Phil Kessel should have won MVP. And it went to Sid two years in a row. Mm-hmm. So it, it could, it's not an exact science on this thing. So I, well, I think Vassy is the kind of solid logical pick. It, it may not necessarily wash out that way.
3: Greg, we got about 40 seconds left. What's your favorite bet for tomorrow night there? Right now, the Lightning, plus 135, the underdog, the Avalanche, minus 155 over at DraftKings. The total is sitting at six, juice to the over at minus with 115 there, but what's your favorite look here for game one?
5: Let me give you a little prop action that I've kind of been side-eyeing, which is who's going to score the first goal of the game and then also of the series. Uh, Steven Stamkos is on a bit of a goal-scoring bender. He is tied with McKinnon for the largest number of first goals scored in a game in the playoffs at three he also led the lightning in the first goal scored during the regular season he did it five times so if you're looking for a little bit of of a prop on that it might not be the worst idea in the world if you believe the lightning to come out of the gate a little bit faster than the avalanche are in the, uh, in the first period
3: now steve samkos right now 13 to 1 Over at DraftKings for the first goal scored for game number one. I might have to do something about that. He is Greg Wachinski, ESPN senior NHL reporter. Greg, we appreciate you joining us here this evening, and all the best with your coverage with the series.
5: Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Take
3: care. All right, that's good stuff. There, we'll break down more of the Stanley Cup final on the other side, and also turn our attention to the National Football League. This is VSN, the Sports Betting Network.
1: work.
6: Zumo play.
2: This is the nightcap on V the Sports Betty Network.
3: Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com to check the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and bets are moving for every game? Well, the betting splits page is updated every 10 minutes so you can see changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way Vcin is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. So check out today's betting splits for every game at vcin.com. Welcome back. This is the Nightcap. Coming to you from the VEASAN studios here at the Circa Resort and Casino. Famia face, Scott Seidenberg, 8.45 West Coast time. How are you doing with the baseball bets? We're Uh, we're looking up, aren't we?
2: Yeah, we're looking good. Uh, Giants are up 3-0 right now. But uh, they are, Logan Webb, in a little bit of a jam here once again as uh, the Royals have the first two runners on here. Oh, well, one out. Two runners on with one out here in the top of the seventh Looks like Gabe Kapler going to pull the trigger on uh, taking Logan Webb out of the game here. So Webb will exit six and a third innings, zero runs, four hits, eight strikeouts, three walks, and responsible for the two runners on right now with one out in the top of the seventh. So I have Giants on the run line minus a one and a half. So uh, actually, is he not taking him out? Is this a discussion here? Maybe a little, maybe a little chat. A little... Yeah, I think I think he's yeah. Okay. okay. I'll let there the guy, you go. All right.
3: Just, just, we're just reeling everybody wow. in. Wow.
2: You know, reeling this is – I'm i am surprised by this.
3: Yeah, um now do you think this is a bad Logan
2: Webb's at 104 pitches right now. So you're questioning Kapler. No, I'm just – usually when the manager goes out. It's, it's the hook. The pitcher's getting the hook. Yeah. This was – I mean, maybe Kapler wanted to go out there, look at his eyes and say, you getting me out of this inning? And Logan said, I'm getting you out of this inning. Got a little bit of work to do. And one pitch, one pitch, get the double play, get out of the inning. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I lost the bet yesterday because Don Mattingly did not do what Lo- what what Gabe Kapler just did yesterday. I had the Marlins over the Phillies, and it is a two-one game in the bottom of the eighth inning. Marlins had the lead.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There's uh, first and second with nobody out, and Sandy Alcantara who's the favorite to win the National League Cy Young Award. Mm -hmm. He's pitching a gem. He gets a double play ball. So now there's two outs, runner on third. Mattingly comes out, takes him out of the game. Next batter, hits a single, ties the game. I wanted Mattingly to leave in Sandy Alcantara Mm -hmm. to let him fight through that inning. Let him get through the final out of the inning. Gabe Kapler just decided to let his pitcher, Logan Webb, fight his way out of this inning. He's trusting him. And I like it. He's trusting him. And I
3: like it. And that could do wonders for his confidence. You know, Absolutely. When you get the vote of confidence from the manager, hey, all right, are we good? Okay, we'll, we'll ride with you right now with two on, one out here in the top of the seventh for the Giants. And there you go. We'll see if he can get a couple more outs there, and then maybe That's after it. seven that he can sit down there. Oh, yeah, oh, he's get, out of the game. A good Dude, he's performance. Of, he's yeah.
2: well over 100 pitches. Yeah. I mean, he's out of the game after this. So it's just a matter of I thought he was going to come out now in the jam here with first and second and one out. But kudos to Gabe Kapler trusting his guy.
3: Uh, going on right now in the Pacific Northwest, over at T-Mobile Park in Seattle, the Mariners lead the Twins four nothing. about top bad. of the six. Logan Gilbert, so far five and two thirds innings pitched here, five strikeouts, one walk here. So Gilbert, the young gun out there in Seattle, the top prospect there for the Mariners from a pitching standpoint, is playing pretty uh, well. I told here. you he's been he's, he's better than Robbie better than this year better than Robbie Ray. I mean Robbie Ray's been disappointing. There yeah. a lot of folks in Seattle, and I'm from that area. Not liking the early returns on the Saay Young winner.
2: It's Logan Gilbert's been their guy. He's been the most reliable guy for them. Yeah. So four nothing for the Mariners, but two
3: on though for the Twins. We'll see what happens here after the six. If Gilbert is able to get out of a little bit of a jam. Um, in the National Football League, mini camps are underway here, Scott. Oh, can, take... I, can I can I give oh, you, you a want...
2: football baseball like conversions here transition before we tr- while we this is the way we're going to transition the a, football a professional. Okay, Golden Tate. You know Golden Tate, yes. wide receiver. <laughs> is now playing baseball. I thought Go- I saw something about Golden Tate, uh, me. former Lions and Giants wide receiver, signs with a uh, professional team in the West Coast League, the Port Angeles lefties, and in his first at-bat doubled in a run and later scored. And uh, he has hits in each of his first two at-bats. He is two of three today with a run, an RBI, and a stolen base. How old
3: is Golden Tate? He's got to be like, what, 32, 33? 33. 33 years old? Not bad for, for Golden Tate. I didn't know I didn't know he had the baseball in him. I had no
2: idea. I had no what, idea. What's he
3: playing? Is he an outfielder? Where, center fielder. Center fielder, yeah. yeah. I guess if you, you can catch a football the trajectory, you can uh, catch it. Off. Makes sense. They're good for Golden Tate.
2: A, oh, so Golden Tate was drafted out of high school by the Diamondbacks. Okay, so he does a baseball bat In the 2007 amateur draft. Did not sign. Instead, he played baseball for Notre Dame. How about that? I didn't know that. Just so
3: learned that here. The he fight- played in
2: 18 games in his freshman year. Uh, batted 262, three doubles, three stolen bases. And in his sophomore year, uh, hit his first home run, finished his sophomore season with a 3.29 batting average in 55 games. Then he was drafted yeah. by the Giants in 2010 but did not sign. And that was his baseball career. How about that? I did yeah. not know that.
3: Did not learn something new every day. I knew
2: he was a Golden Domer, but
3: I had exactly. no idea about the baseball. Notre Dame, the baseball program, yeah. now shout out to them. They're taking on Texas, I believe it is, in the College World Series later on this week. We'll talk about that later this week here. But Notre Dame knocking off uh, who did they beat? The, the, the juggernaut Tennessee. Yeah, it was Ten- yeah Tennessee who they knocked off there, the uh, the number one ranked team in all of the land. Uh, but let's look at football though. Golden Tate. Former football player, I like the transition that you set us up there with. (laughs) And minicamp going on in the National Football League right now. Cleveland Browns minicamp is going on. And the big story with the Cleveland Browns is Deshaun Watson, the quarterback who they traded for earlier this offseason, gave him a boatload of money, I believe $240 million in guaranteed money, the first fully guaranteed contract in NFL history, while Watson facing a number of civil suits. I believe the official count right now is 24 but there's allegedly two more that are about to come out later on this week, so that could be up to 26 by tomorrow or the next day here. Um, Watson spoke to the media for the first time today since that introductory press conference that was kind of an awkward at best deal there with Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, and the main quote that came out from Watson's press conference was, quote, he said, "'I never assaulted anyone, I never harassed anyone, or I never disrespected anyone, I never forced anyone to do anything.'" Now, the league right now is investigating all of this. Eventually, within a month or so, I'd imagine we'll get some sort of verdict on a suspension for Deshaun Watson, but it's unlikely he'll play week one. This is interesting with the Cleveland Browns right now because if Jacoby Brissett's the starter, right now they're in trade talks with Carolina for Baker Mayfield. What are you doing early on in the season with
2: Cleveland, and we'll talk about possibly the full season? Oh, I've already bet Carolina, plus three and a half. You grabbed it. in week one. Okay. I mean, they're gonna it's gonna go off at minus one, probably. Carolina, if Carolina's favored. Because Deshaun Watson ain't playing. Deshaun Watson ain't playing for a lot of games. <laughs> He's gonna be suspended probably for eight to ten games. Like mm-hmm. you think about it. Eight games is not even half a season anymore, right? He's gonna be suspended for more. Uh this spread is going down. Um and I would not be surprised, like I said, to see it go off once it once any suspension gets announced, to see Panthers at a pick'em, to see Panthers at minus one. Uh, with all due respect to Jacoby Brissett, nice quarterback and fill in for a couple of weeks, is not going to uh, lead the Browns to the playoffs this year. So I think that anybody against the Cleveland Browns early on in the season, and I know their schedule is kind of relatively easy at the beginning of the season, but you're going to find value on them right now because he will get suspended. And if he doesn't, which would be the shocker of all shockers, yeah, um, it's a terrible look for the NFL. And they'll face incredible backlash. So I would set the line on Deshaun Watson suspension, minus five thousand. The the Deshaun Watson no suspension plus ten thousand. <laughs>
3: <Yeah. laughs> yeah. No, that that's kind like, of the situation that we're looking at there. And right now, uh the game is off the board at DraftKings because we yeah. all are looking at this mm-hmm. hey, he's likely gonna be suspended for week one there. It would be a stunner, like you mentioned, if yep. he's not suspended, but we just don't know when that's gonna be Levied so right now DraftKings doesn't have it on the board, but we had it up on the graphic earlier there. But the line right now is settling in at three at circa. It's Cleveland three even money. So if you want that three, you got to pay minus one twenty for the Carolina side. This opened about four and a half, I yeah. believe, when the schedule first was announced there, and it, the the decision and the discussion was almost like okay, like. Is this a line that's expecting him to play? Is this a line that's kind of maybe dancing in between Mm -hmm. what's going on here with this line? But clearly, it was a line that was probably in between because we're seeing a lot of money. And the more it feels like we're hearing these reports, the more people bet against the Cleveland Browns, which is probably the right thing to do here if you're looking to make money off of this. Just from a betting standpoint, all the legalities aside and what he's being accused of aside, from an availability standpoint, Fading Cleveland early and often feels like that's probably the valuable play, especially for Week One. Um, You think it gets down to one for this for this number
2: here? Yeah,
3: that is fascinating. It's because I almost I think it gets down to one if the Panthers trade for Baker Mayfield. (laughs) If if it's Sam Donald, I don't know if I want to be back in Sam Donald because Cleveland still is really good defensively as a team. They still have Miles Garrett and all those guys. I don't know if I want to be back in. Or is it Matt Corral? Is it Matt Corral, the rookie, maybe starting for the Carolina Panthers? We're gonna discuss this and more on the other side. Also, we'll discuss if Watson will even play at all this season here. Hour number three of the Nightcap, coming up after the break.
1: If you thought there was a sports betting off-season, think again. Our v sports betting experts are working 24-7 to keep you informed on every sport on the schedule. The over pays the same for a baseball game or a football championship, and our team grinds year-round to help improve your betting... ...to help improve your betting... ...to help improve your betting...
0: ...to help improve... improve
1: work.
6: Zumo Play.